We're finishing up a, a series today called Just Church, <clears throat> and i got to tell you up front that uh, this is not much of a sermon. In fact, this, if this is your first time uh, with us, when we get to the end, you're going to say, well, that wasn't much of a sermon. And um, there's a reason for that. It, you know, it's the, it's the last message in a series of messages that we've been going through the whole month of January. So you're coming in on the tail end of all of it, and it's kind of like walking in on the last 10 minutes of a movie. I, you know, I do that to my kids all the time. Come in, they've been watching something, and you walk in, you go, why, why is he doing that? What, he's, what does that mean? Why did he say that? And they go, shh, Dad, just hush. You can watch it. You can watch the whole thing when we're done. And that's it. So if you start doing that today, you know, why is he saying that? What's that about? Somebody's going to do that to you. They're going to tell you, you can go online, listen to the entire series, and, and hopefully, can't guarantee it, but hopefully it might make a little more sense. We've been looking at the New Testament book of Acts to see how the church got started and how it spread. We, we said that what we're interested in is just scraping off, taking off everything that gets piled up on and that accumulates and that you know, attaches itself like barnacles to the, to the church, just stripping all that off and getting back to the bare wood. And what we found out is that Church didn't start as a building to go to. And it didn't start out as, a, as an institution or an organization. But it began as a movement. It began as a movement with a message that 2,000 years ago, the original followers of Jesus just began to speak about what they had seen and what they had heard. They just began to go out and to say, into the streets of Jerusalem and to say right over there outside those walls Jesus was crucified and, and, and three days later right over there outside these walls he rose from the dead and we saw him it's not something that we heard about it's not something that the friend of a friend of a friend told us we saw him we saw him with our own eyes and it's not something that happened 100 years ago and it didn't happen 500 miles away. It's right here, right in this city. And they went all over Jerusalem talking about Jesus. And people began to embrace that message. People began to, to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it wasn't long before there were not just a dozen, not 120, not even a thousand. There were tens of thousands of people who believed the message about Jesus. Then the message got outside the walls of Jerusalem and people began crowding into the city, pouring into the city because they wanted to hear the message. They wanted to, to see and observe the miracles that were taking place. And all of that made the Roman government very, very nervous. And it made the Jewish religious leaders of the people very, very nervous. And so they began to persecute the church. They began to, to haul people into the court throw people into jail, begin to take the lives of some people. All in an effort to try to shut the church down, try to cut this thing off, stop it in its tracks, but it had the opposite effect. As people fled from persecution, as those early believers fled from the persecution of the church, they carried the message of Jesus with them wherever they went, all over the world. And last week we saw that the number one persecutor was a man named Saul of Tarsus. Funny thing is, in my notes, I have Saul of Taurus. Saul drove a Taurus, apparently. He's a Ford man. <laughs> he terrorized Christians for years. 
until one day he met Jesus. What is it they say Ford stands for found on road dead? That's Paul. That's Paul. Jesus knocked him to his knees. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he became a follower of the very Jesus he didn't believe in. He hooked himself up with the, the movement he was trying to stamp out. And going by the name that we know him better as, Paul, he becomes the, the number one spokesperson for the church. And Paul went on missionary journeys to places all over the world. He went to every point on the map that they knew about in those days, preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he was seen alive after his death by many people. And people in all those nations, all those cities and towns and villages that Paul went to all over the world began to embrace that truth. They began to trust Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Well, time went on. And if you remember any of your high school history or college history, you know that there were some very dark days for the church. Uh, there was a whole section of time in the Middle Ages when there were just some horrible things that went on in the name of Jesus. The Crusades were launched in the name of Jesus. The Spanish Inquisition done in the name of Jesus. Just tragic things that happened. It's part of the church, folks. We can't avoid it. The leadership in the church lost its way. And, and the, the theology went really bad. And there are some very, very, very dark days that we have to look back on in the history of the church. But listen, don't miss this. Because I know you hear this. You hear this from people you work with or, or people you go to school with or people that you're friends with on Facebook. And they go, well, the church did this. And you know, the church did that. And, and the church neglected this. Okay, that's true. But in spite of some very dark times, in spite of some very real, dreadful, tragic things that went on in the name of Jesus and in the church, there have always been people who got it, who understood what it was all about, who understood what the, the point was, who understood that this is a mission, it's a movement. And it's not about a building. And it's not about a liturgy, and it's not about a style. It's about the simple idea that transformed the world 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead, and he lives forever. And the next time somebody starts that yak, yak, yak about, well, the church did this, and the church neglected that, and the church did this horrible thing, you can acknowledge that. You can say, yeah, that's, that's right. We got some dark days in our history. But let me tell you this. So, so many beautiful, incredible things have been done in the name of Jesus. Hey, how about this? Try this one on for size. Hospitals done in the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about building a specific hospital in a specific place. I'm talking about the idea of a hospital was done in the name of Jesus. And thousands of hospitals built all over the world in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been fed in the name of Jesus. The very first feeding programs that ever existed done in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been given shelter, homes in the name of Jesus. Millions of people around the world today are being given clean water in the name of Jesus. 
Free education was done in the name of Jesus. And again, I'm not talking about a school being built in a village somewhere. I'm talking about the idea of free education came about because people were pursuing Jesus. Because they understood that education was the key to helping people meet Jesus. And millions and millions and millions of children have received free education in the name of Jesus. Slavery in England abolished in the name of Jesus. It spread to this country. The abolitionist movement came to this country and slavery was eventually ended in the name of Jesus. Yes, there's some dark days. But there have always been people who embraced the message, who got it, who understood, who made sure that the message of Jesus and the movement of Jesus went forward. Made sure that the church could be handed off to the next generation and the next and the next and the next. And here we sit. Today, in our, as we gather in our little corner of the cornfield, a third of the world's population all over the world gathering in the name of Jesus. The movement continues. It's for all times, all places, all people. And that brings us to today, to right here, to right now, to us. Because now it's our turn. It's our turn. There's a, there's a sense in which the baton has been handed to us. And it's our turn. A few years ago, we looked around. And we realized that there are a lot of churches. You know, they, they took it out at the first of the year, but there used to be that listing on the church page in the comment of the churches in the county. 75, 80 churches in, in our county. County of 20,000 people. There are a lot of churches, and there are a lot of really good churches. But we looked around and saw there were not a lot of great churches for unchurched people. So we decided to do something about that. We decided to uncomplicate things. We decided to get rid of religious formality. We decided to, to make things simple, to make it as easy as possible for people who are seeking God and turning to God to understand what God has done for them. In Jesus Christ. We, we wanted to scrape off the barnacles. Take the things out of their way. On their journey to Jesus. We decided that we wanted to be a church. That unchurched people. Would love to attend. And we decided that if. That if we were going to reach people. That nobody else is reaching. We were going to have to do some things. That nobody else was doing. My goodness. Some of the things we've done. There are people who think we're absolutely crazy. And can I just tell you this? I don't care. I don't care. Because in the book of Acts, the reason the message of Jesus survived the first century, the reason the gospel of Jesus made it out of the first century, the reason the church survived the fall of Jerusalem, that's where it all got started. The reason the church even outlived the government, the, the government system of the world, in which it was born. The fall, it survived the fall of the Roman Empire. And you know why? Because there were people who were so bold and so confident that they were willing to say things and do things that had never been said and never been done. And they never backed down. And I want to be part of that movement, don't you? We 
We want to be part of the movement that started 2,000 years ago when the church began. And so I'm, I'm just going to tell you, just, just file this in, this is how it is. We're going to keep on being a church for unchurched people. You know, I told you a few weeks ago, when, when, when that decision is made, when you decide you're going to be a church for unchurched people, some people get uncomfortable. Church people get uncomfortable. Unchurched people don't. They don't know any better. I just shouldn't say better. They don't know any different. We're going to keep being a church for people who have been burned and hurt by the church, for people who are, are skeptical and cynical about the church. And that means we're going to continue to try new things, and we're going to take risks, and we're going to do some things that might fail. We're going to do things nobody else is doing because the mission is not over, and we are not done. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep reaching more people, keep developing more leaders. We're going to keep helping our children to see what it means to love Jesus and to be friends with God in an environment that is safe and exciting. Hey, I want your kids to wake you up on Sunday morning say, Get up! It's time to go to church! We're going to keep on instilling in the hearts of a generation of teenagers a love for God that will carry them beyond their high school days and carry them beyond their college days so that for the rest of their lives, they see the local church not as a building they go to, not as an organization that they, they, they sign their name to a role, but as a place where they worship God and where they are empowered and equipped to serve Him by serving the community around them. And we're going to keep helping people, people of all ages, old people, young people, married people, single, divorced people, Parents, empty nesters, retirees, we're going to keep helping them grow in their faith and knowledge of God and in their walk with Jesus. And we're going to do it in an environment that is not weird or creepy or spooky. Because we believe there's a place for that. Hey, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And, but, and we are a church for anybody, but we know we're not going to be the church for everybody. We're going to keep doing everything we've done before. We're going to do it better. We're going to do it harder because we have more opportunity than we have ever, ever, ever had before. But, and please do not miss this. If you're taking notes, you want to write this one down. We are long past the point where I can do everything that needs to be done. Number one, I'm not that good. Number two, this is not a me thing, this is a we thing. The job of leadership is not to do all the ministry for us. It's to lead all of us together into ministry and outreach. Let me tell you how I know when somebody hasn't gotten it yet. When they're, we know they're not a New Hope person when they're using they and them language. Well, that church over there, you know what they're doing? I mean, they may come and sit here every Sunday, but it's, yeah, that church over there, I don't know why they don't do this, I don't know why they don't do that. If that's how you talk about this church, you ain't got it yet. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, that's just the truth. When it changes from they and them to we and us, that's when I know we got it. That's when I know somebody's with us. That's when I know somebody's committed to the same things that we're committed to. They may not understand it all. Good grief. If you can understand everything I do, please tell my wife how to do the same thing. 
I don't understand it all, but I know where we're going. Uh, you know, we're, how are we going to get there? It, it looks a little, a little sketchy to me, but I know where we're going to, we want to end up. As we move forward into the future together, with our responsibilities and the opportunities that we have as a church, listen to this. Everybody's got to get involved. Everybody's got to get involved. We, we don't need spectators. And we don't need analysts. We don't need commentators on the sidelines. We need everybody on the field. Now listen, if you're just checking us out, if you're just checking out this church thing, you haven't decided if, the, if church is for you, and you haven't decided if this church is the church for you, that's fine. You take as long as you need. We'll be your best friend in that process. But I'm talking to everybody else. We need everybody on the field. I, I wish you could see you the way I see you. Parents, you can relate to this. Educators, teachers, you can relate to this too. Seeing a kid and just thinking, boy, I wish you could see you the way I see you. I wish you could see the potential that you have in yourself. Because I'm going to tell you, if, if you could see you and you could see us the way I see you and the way I see us, blow your mind. You would be unbelievably, uncontrollably excited about what we can do to change this community, to make a difference in this community, and to model how a church in a cornfield can change the world. Change the world. But for us to do that, everybody's got to get involved. Everybody's got to get involved. We, the last few weeks, we keep bumping into this concept in the book of Acts boldness. We read about things that they did boldly and things they did with boldness. And, and you know, and, and if you were here a couple weeks ago, a couple Sundays ago, you, it was a little uncomfortable. You know, we prayed out loud together, Lord, give me boldness to speak your word. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through me in the name of Jesus. Because that was the prayer of the first century church. That was the prayer of the earliest believers. And if there was ever a time in the life of our church where we need to be bold and take some risk, it is right now. I'm going to ask you to do some things. Some things that you have never done before. Because now is the time. We're going to take this thing to a whole new level. And we need you to be involved. Because see... We believe, we really do believe that everybody spends eternity in one of two places. They're either in heaven or they're in hell. We believe that. That's a reality. That in itself ought to motivate us. And we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We believe that the church isn't a building. It isn't an, an institution. It's a movement and we need you to move with us. This is an opportunity, and I'm just telling you this, this is an opportunity that we can't miss out on because I am convinced that God has opened a door for us. You know, over the last few weeks, and, and some of the things that I look at, and some of those things you'll see tonight, and please, 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 if there's any way possible for you to be here tonight for the congregational meeting, please come because we're going to be sharing some stuff that's very important in the life and the future of our church. But, but as I looked over those things and, and, and just tried to analyze things and, and understand things, it's like God dropped it in my heart. I've opened a unique door of opportunity for you. And it's not because we're special. And it's not because we're so smart. And, you know, and it's not because we think we're better than anybody else. But hey, sometimes God just puts his finger on a person or a place or a situation and says, it's you. Right here, right now, it's you. 
and I believe with all my heart that God has saved that to us, that he is saving that to us. I, I don't think looking back, especially over the last three or four years, where we've come from to where we are, that we can see anything else. So I'm calling us to boldness. I'm calling each one of us to boldness in four areas. Here they are. If you're taking notes, you want to write these down. Number one, we need to be bold inviters. Bold inviters. We need to be bold in our invitations. You know, there are people that you've thought about inviting to church or to inviting to an outreach or inviting. Test, test. Can you hear me? All right. We got to be bold inviters. Participation. Because faith, it will stretch our faith. In our think about this. There are people in our world that someday will seeing them trust. 
surrendering to him in baptism. And we'll know that we had a part in that. That God used us to accomplish that. And we want to be your partners in the process. I mean, for years we have said our outreach strategy is invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest your life in the lives of people around you. The people that you work with, the people you go to school with, people you, you live with, people that you play golf with, people that you love. Invest your life in their life. And when the time is right, invite them to come to church with you. Invite them to Sunday morning. Invite them to an outreach or a special event. And then we will take the responsibility for starting a conversation about their relationship with God. Deal? We need to be bolder in our invitations. Not just for the sake of the person we're inviting, but so that we as a congregation. And then, number two, we need to be bold servants. It takes a surprising number of people to pull off what we do every week. A surprising number of people. I mean, we've got greeters at the door and people in the welcome center. Ushers and coffee volunteers and child children's ministers for two services. What happens when we go to three? Is this coming? What happens? There, there are the people who help keep the facilities clean, take care of the maintenance and repair, and the land, and the student ministry volunteers, and Club 45 help, life group leaders, and people life groups in their homes, the people who set up for and clean up after communion every month, our special events people who set up tables and chairs and clean up. We go to a special event like a dinner, we walk in, tables and chairs are all set up. Oh, how'd these get here? And then we eat. Well, I bet next time we come back, all them tables and chairs will be They're gone. The people who work the eggs, 2,000 our eggs out. that mean? Basically, the population of the town of Flora is going to come to our egg drop. If we've got, and if we've got good weather, it'd be more than that. It takes an army of people to make Bible Beach Club happen, and the people who give out water at the fair, and the people who prepare food for funerals, who deliver food to senior citizens several times. People who prepare food and gift baskets for your worship band. People just thank you, thank you, thank you to our volunteers for the difference that you've made in my life and in my children's lives and in the lives of people who, who decide very But it's time for some full frontal honesty. We got an awful lot of people sitting on the sidelines. sitting on the side and everybody's sitting their kids their teenagers is made and the lights are on the sound is on everything and you feel bad pastor okay I'm not making you feel bad <laughs> don't you know I'm busy I understand that but do you realize that every single Sunday you show up, every event you go to, you're being served by very busy people? 
Fíjense nomás. Esa. We need your help. Okay, there's nothing we do that you can't be shown how to do in 15 minutes. Like 15 minutes. We'll Yes. But don't be that guy. Help us make the most of being our And then we need to be bold givers. There it is. Church always talks about money. Your money. We had more time this morning. I would gently try to pursue this is perhaps not. But in the interest of time this morning, let me just say, you need to get over yourself. But I will say this, if you're our guest and you're just checking us out and you haven't decided if this is the place for you, we don't want your money. I'm not talking to you in that case. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to be here as long as you But I'm talking to the folks who've said New Hope is my church. New Hope is my place in the kingdom of God to serve, to partner, to be on mission with. Because we need you to be boldly generous. The truth is, if all we want to do is pay the staff and keep the light bill and, and, you know, maintain what we've been doing, then our thing is fine. It'll do. We just want to build the kingdom and we want to do more ministry and we want to, we really want to change the world from this cornfield. It's going to take more money. It's going to take resources if we're going to take advantage of the opportunity. And the good news is the money is all in the bank. It's in your bank. Now this is huge. Again, for time constraints, and, and seriously this time, for time constraints, go to Acts chapter 4, verses that we didn't read when we were in that chapter a couple weeks ago at the very end because it, it says there, there's an amazing phrase made all the more amazing when you realize again this is not a church of a, of, of a couple dozen or even a few hundred but this is a church of conservatively 10 to 12,000 people and there's a sentence that just pops out and pokes you in the eye and it says there were no needy persons among them because whenever there was a need those who had houses and lands sold what they had and brought the money and put it at the feet of the church leaders so it can be distributed to anyone who has need. Now I'm just going to say this. If we would give Testament Christians did in the very beginning, we would never have to talk about money, ever. All we'd ever have to do is share the need. The, and the, the truth is, if more people if they're giving online, 
we could have church and never take up an offering. How cool would that be? Somebody comes to church, somebody visits, maybe somebody you invite, they say, wait a minute, they didn't even take up an offering. And we could say, yeah, that's because we're so committed. So we're, we're so committed and on mission and, and, and dedicated to reaching people that we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Anybody that's, that's pursuing God and turning to God. And you know, if talking about money or taking up an offering causes, ah, that's what churches do, we'll take that out and never miss it. We could, be the, we could be the first church in the history of church to stop taking an offering on Sunday. Nothing to it if we decide to be bold in our giving. And then number four, we need to be bold prayers. We, we need to, to pray with boldness. And I, you know, I've resisted up to now, but I'm just going to give in to temptation and tell you specifically how we need to be praying. And first of all, you can keep praying. You know, we can all keep praying the way we've been praying. Lord, thank you for this day and, and help us to be safe on vacation and help me to make an A on my test. We can do all that. We can pray all our selfish little prayers. Pray for all the sick people on our sick list. When we're done with those, we need to pray some bold prayers. We need to pray for the person we know at work or in our class or in our neighborhood or in our family. We cannot ever imagine the door of a church. We need to be praying boldly for them because nobody else is praying for them. We need to be praying for people we haven't reached in the pews of other churches this morning. So I'm talking about the people who are sitting at home in front of the TV or who are sleeping it off or who are headed to the mall because church is the last place they want to be. Let's pray and ask God, how can we catch their eye? How can we get their ear? What can we do? What kind of crazy off-the-wall things can we do to get their attention, to get them to listen to us? How can we serve them in ways that are so unexpected and so appreciated and so meaningful that they will say, I just might have been wrong about church. I just might have been wrong about church people. Those of us who are business-minded, financially astute. I, I really shouldn't say those of us because I am not. So those of you who are business-minded, financially astute, I want you to pray boldly. I, I want you to pray that God would dump millions and millions of dollars on the local church in the United States of America and that the church in the United States of America would be good stewards of all that money. I... Just millions and millions of dollars that can be used to change lives and reach people and transform communities and build schools and hospitals and build, build churches and, and provide clean water for people all over the world. Pray. Pray for anything else you want to pray for. And then ask God, God, would you please move on the hearts of people with resources in this world and move on their hearts to give millions of dollars to the churches in this country that know how to be good stewards so that people can be reached and the kingdom can be built. And for those of us who are parents or educators involved in the education system, I want you to pray bold prayers for the children of our country, for the, the young children, the teenagers. Let's just pray boldly, God, would you raise up the next generation of church leaders? and the next generation of missionaries, and the next generation of political leaders, and the next generation 
business leaders and the, and the next generation of inventors and scientists and innovators from this current generation. Lord, I pray that this generation would be the generation of students that say, I get it. I'm not going to drop out of church after high school. I'm not going to drop out of church when I'm done with, with college. I'm going to stay in the kingdom, reach people, build the kingdom, empowered by Jesus all the days of my life. That's a bold prayer. Let me tell you why this is important. A very narrow, very short window of time. Especially in the context of eternity, it's just a blip. It will, the windows of opportunity do not stay open forever. We have a short period of time, so let's be willing to do whatever it takes. Let's be willing to do anything short of sin to be part of what God wants to do in our community, and in our country, and in the world. Well, he told us there wasn't going to be much of a sermon. He hadn't even said no Bible verses yet. Okay, open your Bible to Acts 28. We're going to close with this. We started in the book of Acts, we're going to finish in the book. Last chapter, Acts chapter 28. The end of the book, Paul is in prison. He's been all over the world, all over the Roman Empire, preaching about Jesus, teaching about Jesus, starting churches, starting starting the movement movements to carry on the teaching about Jesus. And you get down to the end of the book of Acts and, and Luke, that, I mean, by itself, it really is pretty incredible. Maybe somewhat less so because we've, we've been exposed the last few weeks, right, to the boldness of the church, to the unexpected ways they did things. But, but Luke tells us uh, that, that Paul is being kept in a private residence uh, at his own expense. Now, there's an interesting way to, to run a prison system. Okay, you're guilty, and as your sentence, we want you, you for five years, you've got to live in this house. Now go rent it and, uh, and pay for it and, you know, buy your own meals. And Paul's in his own house, but he's in there with a guard, chained at the wrist or the, the ankles, probably one or the other, maybe both, to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And look at the final verses in Acts 28. Verse 30 says, years Paul lived in Rome at his own expense he welcomed all who visited him and what did when his when next verse says boldly proclaiming say boldly proclaiming say it again boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ now wait a minute Paul are you Lord Jesus Christ, who allowed you to be arrested? Is that the Lord Jesus Christ who allowed you to be shipwrecked? Is that the Lord Jesus Christ that, you know, in His name you taught, and a couple times they, they tried to murder you? One time they tried to, you know, throw rocks. Is that who you're talking about? Are you talking about Jesus who allowed you to be brought to Rome, chained to a Roman guard? I mean, what has God done for you lately? But there's no pity party here. Where is God when bad things happen to good people? I'm a good people. I'm a missionary. Sacrificed my life.
compared to the opportunity to teach and to preach the message of Jesus. He boldly proclaimed. Proclaimed the kingdom of God. Taught about the Lord Jesus Christ in chains. Any moment they could come into the house, he rented his house. Came out and chopped off. Which is a Paul was killed. And so was Peter. And Andrew. And James. Simon the Zealot. Shipped off to an eye, deserted. The voices of the early followers of Jesus were silenced. But the church has never been, nor will it ever be, silenced. Because it's God's movement. And He is extending an invitation to you and me to be involved in it. So come on. Let's pray bold prayer. Let's give boldly. Let's serve boldly. Because we've been invited to be a part of the movement that God has begun and that God will continue. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.